Say you will, say you won't, say you do what I don't. <laughs> say it true, say it to me. Say it Oh, me. men are so oh, boring. What have they done now? Trying to mansplain Hayley Williams to me. Oh my god, as if we don't already fucking know. Love that you love Hayley Williams. Here's her song, Simmer. I fucking know! <laughs> Simmer as well. <laughs> That's like saying, oh, do you like Paramore? Check out Misery Business. <laughs> Simmer! It's really Oh my one. fucking god! Why on that? You're listening to Just a Girl Podcast, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything music industry and intersectional feminism related. I'm Natalie. And I'm Katie. And this is episode 29. listening to this week i have been listening to squid oh yeah <laughs> do they have an album that came out recently yeah, yeah tom's really into it and i don't know why i'm mentioning it because i don't actually like it that much it's called bright green field but it's a really like interesting album do you think i would like it no oh definitely worth listening to okay though. okay i'll check it out i've been listening to salem's part two ep what do you call it it? album ep whatever um i really like it though i kind of prefer it to the first one oh okay and i don't know how to pronounce it but i've been listening to a band on henry's recommendation called i think it's era or error i would have said error error because double r yeah error 404 love them though yeah good rap for henry oh nice one henry what about you so i've been listening to two playlists Thanks to you. I've been listening to your Japanese bops playlist. Oh, yes. So many bops. And your Who Needs Men playlist. Been listening to that. They're good playlists. Yeah. But also the Manchester Orchestra album. So good. I bought bought it on vinyl for you in um, Rough Trade. And then I was like, thank God she's already got it because I want to keep it. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as it came out, I was like, bye. Because it was that limited, like, pink special edition one. Oh, mine's and it not sold out. But, oh, okay. Sorry. That's all right. So, what are we talking about this week? So, we are interviewing Sarah Shodapur. So, Sarah is... She um, spins a lot of plates, I think is she what does. you would call it. Mm. Um, but I know that she works at Doorbell, and she also founded Alternative Access. So... We are going to be talking to her mainly about that and how it feels to be a woman of colour in the music mm, industry. Yeah, she's done so much, hasn't she? She's she has. booked bands at festivals. She's worked for music PR agencies. And Just, she's absolutely wow. delightful. She is the best. So without further ado, let's begin. begin. <laughs> Why have we made that thing? Oh, Sarah's here. Oh, Quaz. Are you ready? <laughs> Okay, three, two, one, quiz. So, this week we're interviewing Sarah Shodapur. Sarah's portfolio is 
so impressive. So she is a PR assistant at Doorbell, who are a London-based communications agency who specialise in music, entertainment and brands. And arguably, more importantly, she is the founder of Alt Access, an incredibly important organisation who help people of colour get jobs within the industry. And we're going to go into that in a lot more detail later. But for now, hello, Sarah, and welcome to Just A Girl Pod. Oh my God, you guys. Hi. That was like the nicest introduction of myself I've ever heard. Gosh, I I wish I could just like hire you guys to follow me around everywhere and like give me self-esteem. Oh Oh my God, just message us whenever. (laughs) Or we'll just send you this clip and you can just play it on repeat. Words of affirmation every morning. (laughs) Yeah, it'll be my alarm. Alexa, play my confirmation, please. (laughs) So... We're going to start with the question that we ask everybody that we interview. What have you been listening to this week? Um, Okay, so I am mainly a rock and metal girl, but Mm -hmm. um, this album came out on Friday by a, um, by a like, sort of chiptune hyperpop DJ called uh, Porter Robinson. And the album is called Nurture. Yeah, like, remember Shelter a few years back? Yeah. That song, yeah. So he just dropped an album and I've been, like, watching... um, He did a live stream event uh, concert over the weekend and and I've been watching that on my TV all day and dancing around the living room like a maniac. Oh, (laughs) good. I think I've listened to um, Blossom from that album. Is that on there? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, sick. We love a living room dance. Yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you love it? Exactly. So, Sarah, we're quite keen to find out a bit more about your background, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, totally. So I had a very, I would say, unconventional uh, introduction into the music industry because I didn't really realise I wanted to work in this industry until I was like 18, until I got to uni. So um, if you ask anyone in my life, they'll tell you that what I wanted to do since I was like seven was be an author was be a novelist or a children's author or something to that vein and then I got older and older and I told myself okay maybe I should have a backup Mm. plan quote unquote um and then one day I literally had an epiphany and I was like I like music I like writing why don't I become a music writer like it was literally that simple to me um and I think I went into it quite naively I was emailing Kerrang and Rock Sound and all these places and enemy assuming that I just my passion for music would immediately get me all these internships um yeah that was not the case mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so you know I I, I paid my dues and I, I wrote for the free sites and I, I I did the unpaid internships and was working seven days a week um mm. And to be fair, those places were amazing because, you know, I got to cover some of my favourite bands and gigs for the, uh, as a writer. And were you, like, working alongside that to sort of support yourself financially? Or were you able to kind of live at home? Uh, no, I was working alongside that. So I, I managed to get myself a flat almost straight out of uni. Um, it's a, it was like a central London place living by myself and I, I didn't re- and I was only 20 at the time, so I didn't oh really think God. about it. So I snapped it up and I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, independence, yay. <laughs> um, not realising, <laughs> not realising you actually have to pay money to like live in places and obviously central London is not cheap. And yeah. So, 
I mean, not to get too deep immediately, but like I was working a part-time job, but that was still five days a week. And I was um, working at a PR agency, um, an amazing PR agency called The Noise Cartel, who do um, oh, yeah. rock and metal here, mm. here in London. They work amazing campaigns. But I was working seven days a week, and it was a lot. And I yeah. just have this very vivid memory of me crying in a Five Guys next to my part-time job um crying on the phone to my mum and then the waitress brought over my food and like she looked so uncomfortable because she could see how badly I was like audibly bawling in this restaurant and it got to the point I was like crying into the food as like this is no life oh babe (laughs) I know right I can really (laughs) relate to that like that helplessness of just needing your mum as well of mm-hmm. when there's just like no one else you can turn to and that just goes to show how like hard people in this industry have to work to get even yeah. like anywhere with it and it's really interesting that you said music was your backup plan because normally that's mm-hmm. what people's main goal is and then they're like oh well, maybe I'll be an author as my backup plan but yours is quite a fascinating way around which is cool yeah I didn't really even get into music the way I am now until I was 18 I remember it so vividly so I like sort of liked um the sort of you know basic 2000s pop punk like the emo trinity and Mm. stuff like that but then I went to Reading 2015 for the day by myself and the first act I saw were Net Deep and I think this was like a week or something after they put out um Life's Not Out To Get You yeah second album which I love, love, love. Oh, now. same. Um, but <laughs> Good yeah, album. I, I saw them live and then I saw All Time Low and then I saw Panic at the Disco all on the same stage at the same day. And I went oh. home and I just went into this pop punk comatose state and I was like, hmm, this is going to be a big problem for me. For time. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a phase, mom. Yeah. <laughs> It's a lifestyle. <laughs> I have those all the time. I always tell myself, oh, I'm too old for pop punk. You know, I'm 27 years old. It's, you know, music for 16 year olds. And literally like pretty much the same time every year, which is like right about now. I'm like, I love all time low. I love <laughs> Neb Deep. <laughs> it's as soon as the sun. Right now. Oh, honestly. Yeah. So why don't you tell us all about alternative access? Yeah, so... Alternative access is really born from the desire just to make it easier for people of colour to develop a career in in the music industry and to navigate it. Mm. Um, So things like, we focus on things like um, places where um, people of colour are particularly underrepresented. So I'm talking rock, metal, punk, indie, electronic music. Those are places that... Um, black and brown people are really going to be far and few between Mm. but then also uh, inform entry level starters as to as the name would suggest alternative ways to get into the industry it's not Mm. just you know looking for jobs on LinkedIn there are amazing um, networking and internship and and uh, sorry unadvertised roles that that are um really good for helping young people get into the industry but because of the nature of you know racism yeah maybe aren't 
as accessible to people of colour, and we want to break that barrier down. And then um, demystifying other roles that you can take, so people aren't just looking at the A&R roles and the management roles, mm. and the, looking at the skill set that can really best boister them in the community. And then also, I and the most important thing, I think, is to make people feel like they have... A community, because that was a big part of of you know why I created all access and and um, me getting into the industry. I remember feeling that I was just alone, and I feel like if you don't feel like that, you're more likely to pursue a career in the yeah, industry. Totally. I heard you say in an interview with Yasmin about the first time you felt represented was when you saw Jason Alon Butler from Fever Three Three Three, and that was yeah. like. When I like listened to that interview, I was like, wow, I had like, as a white woman, I had like Avril Lavigne, Hayley Williams, every male band yeah. ever, like Amy totally, Lee. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it's just like when you have privilege, you don't realize that growing up as a child, how privileged you are totally. to have like. Yeah. yeah. And even like as an East Asian myself, obviously, as you know, I'm sure there aren't that there's still not that much representation in this genre but at Mm. least uh you know mine was like when I was 14 years old Mm. and it was um Ed from Elliot Minor who was like half Japanese and I was like oh my god wow someone like me so like obviously Katie you had your representation when you were young mine was like in your teens and it's interesting that you say that the fever Jason um from the fever 333 was yours because obviously the fever didn't start until like you know late 2010s 17 2017 yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah, um, and, and I didn't, didn't even realise that was the case until after I saw them on the cover. And I was like, wait a minute, is this the first... This can't be the first black rock band I've seen on the cover of Kerrang! Yeah. But, like, you know, there's there's bands like Skindred and what have you, but, like, I th- some, something about the, the tagline that they use for the Fever 333, I can't remember exactly what it was, but they were like, we want to bring our blackness into our music. And to to see the word black and rock next to each other was completely alien to me at the time. Yeah, because I am um, I'm quite a big fan of Skindred, and mm. so yeah, like you said, you know they have covered Skindred before, but I think that it was never a theme, or it didn't really feel like much of a theme lyrically anyway in Skindred's sure. music, and obviously because they're from Wales. Fun. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because they're from Wales, though, it was more like, it's kind of more, whenever I see them anyway, it's very like Welsh pride. Um, yeah, totally. So yeah, it doesn't, it's not quite the same angle. So I think it's so great that you were able to finally see yourself represented and hopefully with all these up and coming bands, other people will be able to too. Especially as yes. like black people founded rock music. Yeah. It's just so... Honestly, like... <laughs> And that's the other thing as well. Like, I didn't realise that. And a lot of my black friends who are into rock music didn't realise that too. Like, we had to be taught about our own culture. That's how deep systemic racism goes sometimes. It's Mm. like, wow, we are really deep down the rabbit hole. Yeah, for sure. If If you're comfortable, Sarah, can you tell us what it's like to be a black woman in this industry? I mean, where to start, really? <laughs> like, I, so, so one of my, my most vivid memories is when I was young, I loved going to gigs and festivals and all that. And my mum, you know, bless her, and this is not any sort of to demolish her in any way, but um, 
you know, festivals and, 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 and videos of festivals would come on the TV and I'd be like, oh, mom, can't wait to go to, to Reading this summer. Can't wait to go to Sam Dunk or whatever. And she'd be mm. like, how many black people do you see there? And mm. like, I didn't want to take that to heart, but it was so real. Yeah. And that was kind of a precursor for my experience in the industry. The way I explain it to people is that punk and rock and metal and all these subcultures are exactly that right they pride themselves on being sort of outcast from society mm. that main, mainstream culture won't accept them so they made their own culture but imagine being an outcast among the outcast that's mm. what it's like to to be black in 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 rock music and then when you talk about trying to make a career in the music industry like forget about it i can't count the amount of times i've gone to a gig um because i used to work at live nation i've gone to a gig that i've worked really hard on and Mm. like i'm part of the band's team and people just assume that I don't know where I am. Like, <sighs> did you mean to go to the reggae show across the street? Oh, I'm like, no, I'm paying your bills, dickhead. Yeah. Like, um... <laughs> <laughs> no, tell me where I need to be again. Um, oh, gosh. And it's one of those things, like, I personally am quite a thick-skinned person, right? Mm. That's, I guess people know that about me. But, like that happens again and again and you can't help but feel it and what what happens is that the time you feel it more is when you go to a show like the fever 333 when you meet another person of color in the industry yeah and they affirm your feelings because it's very easy to feel like am i being sensitive or maybe they didn't Mm. mean it that way or maybe i'm just overthinking things but then when you meet someone with shared experience which Mm. is unfortunately too far and few between you're like oh wow this is very real what i'm experiencing and that uh, hits you hard sometimes but then that is why i created all access to make people feel like that and often as possible not a word but <laughs> yeah no, totally and yeah. i think it's um it's so important what you're doing because i think it's also really important for people of color to know that what they experience you know they're never they're never too sensitive everything they're feeling mm-hmm. is totally valid yeah. and it's just such a shame that a community that prides itself on being so inclusive can make people feel so excluded yeah so again yeah i just want to say that what you're doing with alternative access is so amazing like i wish that i had something like that when i was younger thank you oh that really means a lot um and yeah some people in the scene people i've worked with or people in the scene or whatever it's not intentional most of the time 90 percent of the time you know they're not like active racists being being terrible but it's it's ignorance unfortunately Mm. Um, that is letting the systemic racism fester, unfortunately. Um, and hopefully all access will battle a little bit of that as well. Definitely. So obviously you said you started in journalism and PR. Mm-hmm. I'd be quite interested in hearing what it was like to transition from that to live music. Yeah, I, at the time... To- 
it was really an accident at the time you know I just left uni and I was trying to get any sort of job I would I was made redundant from a part-time job so it's like okay it's now or never I'm not doing any more bullshit waitressing whatever jobs I'm gonna get an industry job and PR seemed like the most accessible thing so that's what I was doing a lot of internships in um, but then a role came up randomly at Live Nation to join the promoters team uh, as an apprentice and a promoter for people who don't know because I feel like it's not that well known a role but it's like it's, it's a pretty important role in terms of live music are the people who put on the gigs so they pay for the gig um, they liaise with the band or their booking agent or whoever they pay for the gig, they sell the tickets um, they take a small amount of the profit for themselves and then they give the rest to the artists and mm. so that's really what a promoter does and what Live Nation does and it was very weird for me because I'd spent all this time um, programming my brain to like understand PR and importantly understand the connections of of PR and the relationships there and so I had to like transfer that over to live music also like all my friends were in PR as well so like none of them really fully understood <clears throat> the um the implications of the live music world so it was very much starting from scratch for me mm. but um I think that was a good thing because I realized how much I loved it and how important it was to me. But um, And I was like, why didn't I think of this earlier? Um, possibly because of the lack of um, information about it, which again is something Alt Access will hopefully come back a little. But mm. um, yeah, you know, going to gigs when I was little. And, mm. and one of the things that struck me the most was that... Um, Gigs are basically, or were basically, the primary way that artists were making money, right? Mm, yeah. Streaming has decimated any money an artist can make from making music and putting it out into the world. And then merch costs, uh, yeah, sure, merch costs, but like um, these guarantees that the artists are getting, even small artists were like the tangible amounts of money that were going into their pocket. And that made me feel like I was really making a change. And so yeah. when I would go backstage and I would see an artist, whatever level they were at, just like happy about the show that they could like be there with their fans, with the people that support them right at the front, with the um, too cool for school people in the middle <laughs> and then the parents at the back. Like that invigorates me to no end and it's, it's why I'm so passionate about it I think your your passion is so like clear and lovely to see as well and we uh, we often talk about the dynamics of gig crowds so it's nice that you kind of agree with us <laughs> on that um so Sarah you were on the booking team for Download Festival 2020 which is another thing to add to your array of talents tell us what this was like in terms of just yeah everything I mean it was very it was, just, it was like being in the war room like very <laughs> much so <laughs> like that team is uh, headed up by Andy Copping mm. um who is like the for 
people who don't know the download festival czar um and he is a man who knows what he wants and knows how to get things done but um no he's actually really cool he's not as scary as he might seem and i was brought onto that team um just as as another sort of happenstance as it were but being in that room on a weekly basis and finding out the best way to yes to make Axon and their team happy but also to um to make a lineup people will care about mm. trust me we every time all we think about is how are people going to react to this on twitter yeah. Yeah. who's going to say this lineup is shit we thought about it all the time it was like one of our main concerns with download there's always people who want like Metallica or mm-hmm. Kiss or one of those like old school metal bands to headline and then there's people like mm. us who are like get bring me the horizon to headline and you can't really get <laughs> yeah. it right either way yeah. like, or you can just oh, get someone's both someone's gonna be disappointed yeah um, exactly there's a lot of gatekeeping <laughs> yeah exactly and like those and a lot of those people will find a way to complain anyway like yeah. when you have Kiss on or Metallica or whoever or Guns N' Roses and the next year they'll be like why don't you have this band on I'm like why have you got Biffy Clyro <laughs> <laughs> would be amazing um and yeah and yes there is a lot to be said about the um the female balance lineup on on festivals like download and it was a source of disappointment for me i won't lie Mm. um however uh that booking team was 50 percent female including myself that's actually a question i wanted to ask because like obviously almost every single festival every year is there's somebody evaluating the diversity on the lineup and i know that a lot of people praised download 2020 lineup because i think like it was the most acts with women women in them than there ever have been before i think was it like 30 percent or something like that yeah i believe so so i guess like just a quick question was with 50% of the booking team being women, do you think that helped increase the percentage this year or last year, sorry? I think to an extent, yeah. I think just even if it wasn't me or I hope they won't mind me shouting them out, but um, Steph Bransponson and Jenny Cotter, um, who who are both on the team and who are just amazing, 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 um even if it wasn't us coming up with the ideas, maybe just our presence in the room made mm. the other 50% of the room who were men just think about it more. Because, yeah. like, I can't speak for how the booking team was in previous years, but that year it was very um, collaborative and people were always just throwing out ideas. And obviously because Download is a Live Nation festival, they don't necessarily have to worry about, um, you know convincing people to play the festival if yeah if you're a band that plays a guitar you want to play download right yeah yeah um so we may mainly had free reign unless that band wasn't touring that year or whatever um so i think it really did come down to our energy in that room and Mm. that was influenced a lot by um 50 percent of that room being female yeah yeah that, that I think that is something that seems like such a an easy solution to 
get having better diversity in festival lineups. What else do you think needs to change to increase diversity in festival lineups? I mean, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there because, um, I mean, there'll always be people with vested interest, right? And unfortunately, the music industry and the live music industry is a business. And so sometimes appeasing certain people for future favours trumps doing what is right morally. So unfortunately, that like has to be removed like a rotten fur Mm. if we're going to get anywhere. But then I also believe that it is... Like, if you had more women booking festivals, this would less be the case. It's, it seems simple, right? Yeah. Like, I was I was around a lot of different teams for a lot of different festivals, and they would always talk about this golden 50-50 percentage number. And it's good to talk about it, right? But, like, the way they were saying it was so inorganic like mm. it sounded like you were being made to do an essay in the, in high school but, but that you don't really want to do like if you have a passion for it it's going to come naturally yeah so if you have more black people in these mid to high um managerial roles they're going to naturally support more black talent mm-hmm. and if you have more women and minority genders in these in these higher roles they're going to bring in the talent and they're going to know how to do it. Yeah, um, totally. So, yeah, we need to see a change um, behind the s- stage um, if we want to see a s- change on the stage. Something doesn't really sit right with a group of like white, straight cis men doing positive discrimination just to fill a festival <laughs> lineup. If mm-hmm. they hire like black people, disabled people, gay people, like you know like muslims like a massive diverse group of people then it's naturally going to be a more diverse lineup yeah. rather than just go oh get some women on please yeah, guys <laughs> and not just that either but i think that if we book more of these artists not we the obviously festival <laughs> we bookers. would do a great job <laughs> if if more diverse artists are booked it means more people will see themselves represented. They'll then want to get into music. And, you know, it's that cycle of, like, seeing yourself, more people seeing themselves. And, and eventually by, I don't know, hopefully hopefully in the next few years, but probably more like, I don't know. 2048. 20, yeah, 2048. <laughs> um, there'll be, you know, more equal proportions in terms of representation. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Just, yes. <laughs> and it's why... I mean, this might go out before I announce it, but who cares? It's why I'm currently booking a show. Like, I've for the last 18 months, I've been working on a show called Pop Rock, as in mm. POC Rock, um, exclusively for alter- alternative musicians of colour. Mm. Um, and it's like a monthly showcase, and it should start in June. Um, this oh, sounds sick. Do you know um, Stephanie from Big Joni? I feel like she would love to get involved in this. You know what? I literally just um, emailed their um, their booking agent today cool. and talked about it. <laughs> yeah. But oh, yeah, this is so exciting. Journey. Yes, it is very exciting. Um, yeah, I'm talking to Nova Twins, to Bob Villain, to Big Johnny, <gasps> love, to love, Rose a little bit. Love, um, love all of these bands. <laughs> right, right. Oh. Um, so 
really glad that you have obviously just mentioned everything that you did, as well as the um, 50-50 split of women and men in um, booking download, because I would mm. love to ask you what you would like to see for women in the future of music slash live music. Mm. It's a loaded question, because like, maybe I was a little bit naive, because I was thinking that um, there would be a little bit more... Um, a little bit more diversity in this year's lineups because all these festival mm. bookers had a year off to really start from scratch mm. and, and just rethink how you can do a festival. Um, but they didn't, for, mm. uh, bottom line. Uh, a bunch of sort of mid-tier festivals were announced maybe about a month ago and I saw Scouting for Girls booked <laughs> More times than I saw <laughs> women booked on, on some lineups. Like, oh, oh, that is so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> like, I love. <laughs> I like. I don't know where to hide my face. Do they think that maybe if they nothing? I've got nothing against scouting for girls, but do they think if they book a band with girls in the name that we just won't <laughs> notice that there's three women on your lineup? You noticed. <laughs> do you think it's because like? men are the default so when they have like fewer so for example if they've got like 30 male bands on a lineup and then like four bands who aren't men do you think that that makes the some of the promoters or the organizers think that that's done because at least they've got like four rather than equal does that make sense i think what it is a lot of these promoters and whatever's wrongly think that there are no headline worthy um female fronted acts not to say female fronted but you know yeah yeah female fronted my favorite genre (laughs) (laughs) it actually is though (laughs) you know my favorite type of music is women yeah Uh, it's, that's interesting you say that because um, we've uh, we've always had the exact same thought and we actually did an episode um, quite a while back um, on uh, we created our own lineups which were what was it compiled of like just artists with women yeah. slash like diverse genders on there to show mm. that it is possible there are loads of artists and we both did it's different festival each, so we came up with two festivals <laughs> with just non-male people on the lineup. It, is it no is doable. Excuse. It's crazy, right? So it, it's just not as hard as they make out, and that goes back to what I was saying before that a lot of it is just bureaucracy. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of these bookers know that there are bands that, and it's so frustrating, especially with the bigger festivals. Like if you put. I don't know, Nova Twins halfway up on Reading Festival. Because you're Reading Festival, people will pay attention to them. People will go and buy yes, their albums. Exactly. And that will make them a headline act. You're choosing to help your friends, help the bands that look like you, instead mm. of giving all this money and support to female-fronted did it again (laughs) (laughs) two bands with marginalized genders in them you're choosing not to not to support them and to make them into headliners i could not agree more and what do you think Mm -hmm. about people who say why do you always have to make it a gender issue 
has it to I've only ever heard that from men. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I've heard it from like a few women. Yeah, I have when I've well. when I've complained about diversity mm. on lineups. Mm. I always get why do you always have to make it a race issue or why do you always have to make it about gender? And I always just say like because it is like yeah you can't exactly. yeah yeah it's a really um similar thing um so I always sort of like complain about race issues because obviously that's pretty much what has you know shaped my whole life mm. and people are always like it's not always about racism I'm like but it is and so you're in like, such a privileged position to be able to yeah. say that it's not that's exactly what it is like when people when I see Terry from Northumbershire <laughs> tell me tell me what why are you talking about race all the time like I oh gosh all this race stuff on the TV <sighs> I'm sorry mate but that's like five percent of what black people have to or people of color have to go through literally every day mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I know you and you know for some people it's the literally. Um, they just don't have a lot of exposure to that and they might get annoyed by that but like gosh imagine how annoying a, a black person must find it yeah. or a person of colour must find it oh. or a woman must find it to like have to go through this every day like I, yeah. I think about the the Sarah Everard case from earlier this year mm-hmm. and how men were just surprised of stories of um, you know holding keys between knuckles and and um, text me when you get home yeah. and stuff. And me and all my girl pals were like, that's really everyday practice mm-hmm. to the point mm-hmm. that I don't think about it anymore. That just so, made me think of like how the men who didn't know that don't surround themselves by women though as friends because I think a lot of ignorance come f- comes from like your network or your friendship group. So mm-hmm. if you don't, understand issues that people of colour go through is probably because your friendship group isn't very diverse and you haven't asked about it and this, it was the same as this like when people when men on twitter were surprised that we are pretty much always scared when we were walking home on yeah. our own in the dark yeah. i was like how do you not fucking know that mm. like are you actually mental to not know that yeah. so they're like choosing to to ignore it like these men who maybe do surround themselves with women or find themselves around around women in work or whatever circumstance mm. they choose to you know steer the conversation away from that or just not address it or yeah. pretend it doesn't exist because it might make them slightly uncomfortable and oh, it makes them feel fragile because they're like well i wouldn't do that yeah yeah and again, that's a very yeah. privileged thing to be able yeah. to do, to ignore and be like, well, I don't do it. None of my friends do it. So therefore, I don't do care. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, no sort of change is going to come that way. Definitely so not. Sarah, speaking of change, mm-hmm. alternative access is making positive change. How can our listeners and anybody really, how can we support alt access? Um, well, a follow on Twitter and Instagram is always appreciated. It's at alt underscore access on Twitter and at alternative access on Instagram. Um, we post uh, jobs and opportunities and little tidbits of advice on our stories on a weekly basis or on our posts rather. So um, anyone you might think of um that 
might find it interesting, please, please do share. Um, we want to get the word out and make sure people are feel as supported as they can be. And then also we are building up a little community on Facebook um, mm. where we we sort of work a bit more one-to-one -one with people, find out a bit more about their goals and their skill set and what have you, and then connect them directly to employers who have, you know, previously made that pledge to uh, equality in music and um, work with people on their CVs and connect them directly to employers and then hope for the best on that circumstance. So um, it's just keeping an eye out for the best opportunities for people who, you know, are sort of on the fence about joining the the music industry. People of colour who feel like the odds are stacked against them, um, sharing a resource like Alt Access with them could genuinely tip them over the edge in the right direction. We've just actually followed you on Instagram. Oh, via yes. just a girl so, <laughs> got an extra <laughs> follower um so one of the question is how can people support black women in the scene um this is a difficult one because mm -hmm. as you mentioned earlier i was having a chat with yasmin suman the amazing journalist and of we wear black podcast fame um i was having a chat with them last year and we had a very in-depth discussion about um whether black people and people of colour should um, be going out of their way to, for lack of a better term, teach white people about how to help them. Mm. And I was sort of 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 the camp of both yes and no, because, mm. um, you know, black people and, and, and brown people and people of colour have the most experience with, with it and... and um, you know, we all know that listening to people's experiences is the best way to learn about them. But also, there's a lot of trauma embedded messily with those experiences. And black women might not want it to be up to them to educate themselves. So what I would suggest is just making yourself hyper aware mm. um, in the terms of if you're not seeing your favourite publication post about any sort of black um, uh, black band or black act for a month, for two, three, six months. Ask yourself why, call them out on it, write an email, ask if, um, you know, a specific team that you're following or a publication doesn't have anyone behind the scenes that is a person of colour. Mm. Just, again, make yourself cognizant and aware of that. And then resources out there that um, that that can help. Alt access is one of them. <laughs> of um, course. If, if you do see any, you know, talented people of color who are thinking about a career in the music industry but don't know where to start, um, make sure to I, I, you know, you know of some resources that can help them. Be sure to share. Just a retweet. I, I know a lot of white people. Um, I, like I personally know a lot of white people or non-people of colour who maybe felt uncomfortable with retweeting the old access stuff because they were like, it's not necessarily for me. Well, that's not completely true. Old access is for everyone. Mm. It's about education. Um, we want to particularly help the careers of people of colour. But if you are helping any 
resource-based website, Instagram page, infograph, whatever, help spread their message, then mm. you're supporting black women directly and indirectly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. I think that people really underestimate the power of sharing because they think that no one's going to pay attention or I've only got this many followers, who's going to care? But actually, I know so many people who have shared you know, just because like I've either begged or they're just my friends and the conversations yeah. that they've had out of it are so productive and it, yeah, it just goes mm. to show that it does work. But I think it's also mm. really important to emphasize specifically to white people how, I guess, like important your feedback is to places like publications and festival lineups, because in my experience, and I'm sure in yours too, Sarah, mm. that um, people don't care unless white people talk about it. It's not made an issue until, you know, because obviously people, white people can't really relate unless it's other white people talking about it. And they're like, oh, okay, I need to care now. And so, yeah, that's why, yeah, I want to highlight your point to white people that are listening, that it is really important. To add to that, Natalie, I listened to a podcast today with Sophie Duker on it, and they were talking about active allyship. And Mm. I know that a lot of white people have said that they don't want to say stuff like that like what you just said because they don't want to get offended on other people's behalf Mm. and Sophie Mm. Duker was like that is literally what allyship is Mm. like you're not being offended you're being empathetic and that was like such a good way to look at it for me because I often worry that like I'm not too much because I don't think you can be but if I don't have the lived experience I'm like shit like is it my place to call it out and obviously as you know Mm. Natalie I do um but there is, as like the, I guess the spokesperson of white fragile people here, <laughs> there is that worry sometimes of like, is it my place? Yeah. And I think it's important that white people use their privilege and know that like it is their place because of exactly what you just said. Definitely. Unfortunately, yeah. they might be more yeah. likely to be listened to. Yeah. But I just thought that was exactly. a cool point that Sophie Duca made. Mm. She's a queen. Love that. Because it's like, at the end of the day, black people are still a minority, right? Mm. And like, we're a small enough minority that governments or systems or the powers that be, whatever, that when it's just us shouting, they can like sort of ignore us. But then when there's white people and more influential people and black people shouting about it, they're Mm. like, oh, okay. And one of, you know, after the resurgence of BLM last year, One of of the things that came out of that terrible, terrible time was that a lot of white people that I had been working with that, you know, generally know racism is bad, sort of clued themselves up about it more. Mm. I never felt like I could talk to my white colleagues about race without them feeling offended and without me feeling sort of bad as well because Mm. like I know that they're not like raging racists but there's you know there's more black and it's not just black and white there's more gray area between saying the n-word and 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 being the strongest ally area ever Mm, you know there's there's more gray area in between there totally if you operate between that great area, it's on you to assess yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I've felt the exact same 
way too in that like I will never or not anymore I've totally changed my opinion because I'm just sick of like staying silent but I found it so uncomfortable no I didn't even find it uncomfortable I was always afraid to share my experiences in the fear that other people would be made uncomfortable but actually it's now a bit like okay well you should this is only like a percentage of how we feel on a daily basis but also like you said it's important for white people to speak up so that other people you know people author people in authoritative positions care and the george floyd situation is an exact example of that like i don't know i hope this doesn't sound that cynical but i don't think that um the police officer i can't remember his name derek is that his name yeah. um i don't mm-hmm. think he would have been felt found guilty on all cases had there not been such public outrage about it absolutely so yeah that's just evidence about how important white people's allyship is and if we go back to specifically you know being a black woman um there's this famous quote from Malcolm X I think it was that the most disrespected person in America is the black woman and Mm. now obviously we're not in America (laughs) yeah um, thank god right um (laughs) but I, I I think the point there is that like if you take the complexities of being a woman or being a marginalized gender and the complexities of being black and you mash them together in, mm. in a black woman, it, it's it's wild. There's all this untangling. Mm. You have to deal with racism. You have to deal with turfs. You have to deal with white feminists and white feminism. Yeah. Like all of these different aspects that, that are just coming at you from left, right, and center. Totally. Mm. And I think um, even though that quote is talking about America... I think people need to not be so naive. Like, racism is very apparent in the UK too, and that quote Mm. can probably still apply to the UK as well, to black women in the UK, so... Yeah, I heard someone say that it's more insidious in the UK, and I can't remember who said it, but they're like, just because Boris Johnson drinks tea while he's racist still makes him a racist. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we've spoken about it quite a lot, where, like, it's become almost more scary not scary like more bad to be called a racist than to actually be racist and it's like and people I think because there is that like social expectation of people at least in our circles to not be racist Mm. that people cover up more which in some ways could be yeah a bit more dangerous but i don't fucking know Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i just wish people would be nice yeah just be a nice person i don't have a solution to anything (laughs) we really appreciate sarah how exhausting it can be like sharing your experiences with stuff like this so thank you so much for being so open and honest Mm. with us and I really respect your answer about it's not always your job to educate people I I could not Mm. agree more Mm -hmm. and thank you for being so honest about that yeah thanks thank you guys for giving me a space to you know talk about the, the things that I'm trying to do and 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 the journey that I've had it's um it's, it's hard to be heard sometimes in this noisy industry where everyone's trying to get somewhere so mm-hmm. um, I, it really means a lot that you guys have a space like this podcast to to make that happen for a lot of people yeah. oh that means a lot thank you and obviously like anyone else that you think needs to be heard just let us know because that's kind of why we created this was yeah. for people mm-hmm. of all backgrounds in this industry to just 
have a safe space where they can talk about their experiences and be heard and be believed more importantly Mm. so totally yeah remind our listeners about if you're happy to about this new project that is coming out in june and what your socials are so people can keep up to date with alternative access yeah why not um so so yeah pockrock p-o-c-r-o-c-k um is a monthly showcase for alternative musicians of color it'll be taking place in uh south london uh particularly a town called peckham which has a really rich uh black community and it's where i grew up as well so that is my m sarah I'm a London girl at heart. Just moved to Bristol for Union State. Oh, mate, you absolutely have to come down. Okay, if I'm invited, I will. <laughs> I don't want to take up space at Yes, yeah, so are you kidding me? What yes. What time you were in Peckham? We will be there. Oh, mate, years ago, years ago. Was right, in. Well, this is the thing. No, I was going to say the last time I was in London, I was in like Camden. And then before that, it was like Finchley. So it's been a while. Well, this is the thing. So yes, Peckham has a very rich black culture and 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 the West African immigrant culture, but also it has been the subject of so much gentrification recently. <laughs> oh God, it's like it's crazy. They've pumped so much money into there. Mm. But me and also my brother um, owns a bar in that area, a bar slash um, coffee shop. And we thought, well, we grew up in this area and we had to live here while it was bad. So why wouldn't we reap the benefits mm, of absolutely. this money that is now in Peckham? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's part of it. Um, I might just say say that again, just so you guys have some clean audio. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and socials? Yes. So the socials for Pock Rock um are p-o-c-r-o-c-k-l-d-n so pock rock l-d-n um across everything um hopefully we should have the first lineup announced by the time you're hearing this if not um it is mid-may that we are announcing the first lineup um so that'll be that and that'll be really cool tickets are only five pounds so please please come down Sick. and support some amazing music right a steal that is a steal two thousand five sorry not two thousand five five pounds is what i used to pay when i was like 14 years old going to gigs well this is this is what we're trying to do right um so basically we're very lucky to be funded by some very generous um art organizations we're funded by arts council england um and also the power up initiative who are a new initiative supporting black music makers and black music professionals so we're supported by that so we have um all this money to give directly to the bands like Mm. uh, it's running as a non-profit so um all the money goes directly into a making sure these acts are properly supported because pre-COVID, you know, they were getting £50 for a support slot when there's four people in the band and they need to pay for food and travel as well. So by the time they get there and get home, they're in debt, right? And Mm. we want to sort of tackle that, particularly for musicians of colour who are going to be disproportionately affected by this. Yeah, And also we want... Um, you know, already loyal music fans to come down and support new music, um, but also have it feel like you're investing in them 
but also have it be affordable and and accessible to a bunch of people mm. so um yeah we're able to put on this great show for a really low ticket price to hopefully encourage people to come and find their new favorite band or act and yeah it's really exciting oh that's so exciting. i've got so many friends who will be so like touched and mm. like love to come to this yeah so. yeah We'll bring a crowd, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> please do, please listen. You guys, uh, any any time, will be will be welcome, and anyone you want to bring, and it's open to. We're we're always looking for people to play as well, um, as well as people to attend. So if you're listening to this, <laughs> if you're listening to this, and 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 you play music uh, in any sort of capacity. And you know you're a, you identify as a musician of color, or your act features musicians of color. Um, go to uh, pockrockldn.com. So p o c r o c k l d n dot com. Um, we have a little form on our website where you can fill in your details, and we'll make sure that we take care of you. Oh, thank you so much. I thought you were um, inviting us to play then. I was like. Sarah, we don't have any if musical you talent. Put together a no. band in the no, next no, month, no. I will have you on that stage. Oh no! This is why we have a podcast because we don't have musical talent. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about music. We don't necessarily like have the talent. No, exactly. I've actually just realised how fucking true that is. <laughs> FML. Oh, amazing. Thank you so much again, Sarah. Oh, my pleasure. My absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you for joining us. You've been an absolute icon. Oh, stop it, you. <laughs> and we'll hopefully <laughs> see you in June. Yes, hopefully. Thank you so much, you guys. <laughs> ours's new like vibe with the chains oh i have not seen this they always put chains chain emojis ah. like in everything they post now you know what i love like an emoji becoming a logo yes you know how like gutters is the hammer and um as everything unfolds like the rose and the black oh, heart oh yeah and lizzie farrell's for some reason is the white heart and the purple heart yeah, i love that love. <laughs> iconic what's ours or what should we make out of this with a crown Oh yeah, I always use crown and red heart is what I use. Yeah, same. Yeah. Okay, nice. Aww, <laughs> brand guidelines. <laughs>